0: Hello everyone, dear listeners. Welcome to another episode of Outside the Studio. My name is Tessa Tovar. I am your host. Uh, for those of you who get the privilege of watching online, you'll notice that my kitty has just joined me. This is a beha. <laughs> she mm-hmm. conveniently shows up whenever I am teaching or recording a podcast. So today I'm so delighted to welcome Amy Weintraub. I just, first of all, Amy, I feel so honored for your time, that your willingness to be here with us. And I'm super excited to talk about your latest creation, which is Yoga for Your Mood deck. And this is 52 Ways to Shift Depression and Anxiety. And I can't tell you how many times I throughout all the many teacher trainings I've done and just my own personal learning have, have felt like I need a deck of cards that I can just pull from when I'm feeling like I need some help or support. And that's, and then you magically showed up for me. So thank you.
1: <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Yeah.
0: thanks. It's for been
1: me. kind of a, a life work, um this accumulation of practices into the deck so uh it represents all the things that have really helped me on my journey and helped my students and trainees in some ways it's a collaborative effort because years ago when i started the life force yoga practitioner training the people who became Uh, who came for their second level and became mentors would share how they were using the practices that i taught them initially with their students and clients and so so those practices uh, you know they shift and change over time because we wanted to make them as accessible as possible because many times yoga teachers yoga therapists are called upon to teach and secular settings non-yoga settings like uh, treatment centers and recovery programs and mental health uh, groups and sometimes recovery groups so you know in all of those settings people are there not to do yoga they haven't chosen to be there for yoga so we know how valuable these practices are so to be able to to really make them accessible that was my goal in p- creating life force yoga um, for mental health professionals for yoga teachers and um, healthcare professionals in general and then also uh, to make them accessible for people who have never would never think of going to a yoga class so that's what really makes me happy about this particular deck because you know, it has the Sanskrit in the parentheses, but we call things by other names other than something like Analama and Valama Krama, which mm-hmm. can immediately be off putting to someone who's not steeped in the depths of yoga and yoga practice.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. And I, you're kind of alluding to the seed of of this creation but i wonder if there was a moment in time where you were like ah i know i need to create this deck for this specific purpose well it was actually
1: before the pandemic began um that i really thought this i just my whole goal has been to uh you know since i wrote yoga for depression um which was published a number of years ago it's still, you know, a best-selling yoga book, but the only people who are going to pick it up, for the most part, are people who are already sympathetic to yoga. Mm. And so, I really wanted, as as I expressed, something that would be uh, that would reach people where they are. And I I, do, I wanted it to be as diverse as possible to include uh, members of the BIPOC community. And I worked with this wonderful illustrator in England, Juliet Percival, and sent her pictures. And uh, and she's she just I just I just want to show you this because I love the cover. I love Mm -hmm. the picture. You know, it's the the cards are diverse and different body types, Mm -hmm. different shapes, different ages. So no one is felt feels like they can't do it. And it's not uh, that practices are, are accessible, just as the practices in the book, Yoga for Depression and Yoga Skills for Therapists are. And the thing that makes me happy is that, you know, I was a very, de- my personal story is that I was depressed, I was a fiction writer. And although my short stories were published years ago, and I actually was a television producer as well, we <laughs> don't want to go there because I did not lead a yogic lifestyle and suffered from it, you know, an anxiety-based depression, um, which I self-medicated. And um, when I found yoga, my life really changed. I was able, with the support of a psychiatrist, to slowly titrate off my medication after um, after beginning, a you know, a eight or nine months nearly daily yoga practice, which really supported my mood. So it's, it's been a a life's journey to, uh, to find the practices that worked for me and then to begin to share them. You know, when I, I did my first yoga teacher training in 1991, and my passion was to basically, you know, steep myself in yoga And uh, because it was a month long training and I, I just thought, oh, all I'll do is yoga and I'll breathe and Mm -hmm. and uh, do the pranayama and I'll feel fabulous because I was already feeling pretty good at home doing my daily practice. And I came out of that training really hot to teach, to share what had really transformed my life with so many people who may still be suffering from anxiety, depression. Uh, a history of trauma, which I also had. So Mm. I just, I just feel like um, the once I started teaching what was authentic to me, um, it was embraced,
0: Mm. you know,
1: completely.
0: Yeah, Um, I so resonate with that as a a teacher of yoga myself and the journey over the past. uh, For me, it's been well, I've been a practitioner of yoga since 2001. Mm -hmm. Uh, so 20 years now, and I've been teaching yoga since 2015. Mm -hmm. Um, and so i just so resonate with what you're saying. And also it's just evolved so much over the years. So I'd love to get your take on, you said something really key, how you could take what you learn and, um, really teach what is true for you. Mm -hmm. And so And I imagine that's evolved so much over the years, right? So I'm curious about what your practice looked like when you first started, you know, if it was a daily ritual and how it's evolved over the years, what does it look like now? Yeah, it's,
1: you know, as I've, you know, your practice changes, I think, environmentally with the seasons. I mean, mine does um, where I am on the planet, depending on, you know, the light, when the sun rises, when sunsets and with age, with your own body's aging process, uh, it changes. And just with your, um, with my, I should say my, what my enthusiasms are. And like you, I have done, you know, a number of different trainings and, I, you know, it's like, I don't, not love all of it Mm -hmm. they all all of the lineages of yoga all the schools of yoga they all have something to offer um so personally my um i started doing transcendental meditation years Uh ago and uh, i got my mantra when i was 19 years old along with my father and brother we all went together and we um uh, it was so we i had a practice i went to the um what was it called the creative a science of creative living at university of massachusetts a month-long sort of training to be with maharishi mahashyogi mm-hmm. and as long as i was practicing uh meditate and when we do rounding weekends and also that during that month-long training we were given sheets yoga poses so we would go back in between the meditation sessions and practice yoga from a sheet you know i've Mm. never been good at reading maps so it was a little like what am i supposed to be doing here you know Uh but that was my first exposure to to doing asanas not led by anybody but just Uh doing it from like uh handouts Uh and then um I, you know, I, as long as I practiced the the meditation, I was feeling pretty good, but the depression broke through life, you know, happens and, uh, you know, there was postpartum. I had given birth and, and, you know, there a lot, I wasn't meditating as regularly and um, not. And when I went back to my meditation practice, it just wasn't enough. And I was in psychotherapy. I was on medications. So my actual asana practice didn't really begin until I went to Kripalu for the first time in the Berkshires, Kripalu Mm -hmm. Center. And um, that was in 1989. And I started practicing. We were on pink, fluffy uh, blankets. We didn't even have yoga mats back then. Mm -hmm. There were yoga mats. I mean, yogis didn't have yoga mats back in India. <laughs> yeah. That was a sort of an evolution of uh, yoga. Anyway, we practiced these, um, these asanas. And it included it, Kripalu, it included pranayama, it included meditation, it included chanting. So it was getting the full package of uh, practices. And I would go home. Uh, I lived in Rhode Island at the time. And I would drive up to Massachusetts about a three hour drive and I'd go home with um, video cassettes or audio cassettes and plug them in. And I would practice daily because there were no teachers in Newport, Rhode Island, where I lived and I started volunteering up there and going to programs. And so my practice began as a sort of Kripalu practice, which was always including pranayama, and uh, and then separately. Uh, Kirtan chanting. Mm. Uh, So not chanting within the poses or anything. And then what I noticed is I started to incorporate some of the Bija mantras, the seed sounds into my asana practice. And it just enhanced it so much. And then I started incorporating more Kriya breathing um, when I needed it. So I would I would get on my mat. And some days I just didn't, I was still, you know, just coming off of a, a lot of my, my, I had eventually titrated off the medication after eight or nine months, but there were still days when I did not feel like practicing mm-hmm. and I would plug in somebody else's tape at that point and let them lead me. And then five minutes later it would be, I'd be pressing the off button and doing my own practice, which really consisted of basic Hatha yoga asanas. And pranayamas that included lujayi, um, durga y- yoga, three part breath, and uh, analoma viloma, which is an alternate nostril with a holding pattern, and um, and then alternate nostril breathing, and some kriya breathing too, kapalabhati, and some other kriya breathings that were even more intense than kapalabhati that involved belly rolling and all of that. And it was my medicine. It was literally my medicine every day. Um, And I did, that's pretty much what I did for years, adapting it to the season and to what my body felt like it needed. If my body felt sluggish and tired, I would start in the supine position. If my body felt, and then build the energy. If my body Mm -hmm. felt revved up and nervous, uh, um, rajasic we call it. I would start in a standing position and work my way down. So it was always sort of playing with and making it my own. And when I became a yoga teacher, I started incorporating some of what I did for myself t- with my students and they loved it. A lot of people came to one of the places I taught in Tucson where I live now. Um, <clears throat> this was not, I started teaching in Newport, Rhode Island, but w- where, when I I started teaching at the Tucson Racket and Fitness Club. So people would come in 18 year olds to 80 year olds, some of whom were carrying their tennis rackets, just coming in for a stretch to warm up for their tennis games. And I would have the whole room chanting, you know, grounding, lum, lum, lum and share pose and, you know, rum and warrior rum. and they learned yoga with sound and they assumed that that's the way it was supposed to be you know it wasn't just amy's yoga it was like this is the way yoga is so they come to they i'd have a sub and they'd say she didn't use any of your sounds. Mm. <laughs> you know?
0: So
1: it was, um, so it was like using things that, that really made a difference in my life. And when I became a yoga therapist and started working with people one-on-one, um, people really, and working with kids in, with autism and kids on the spectrum, you know, the sounds and the breathing practices were really what resonated with people. Mm. And, I know I'm going far beyond your question right now, so you can stop me. But I wrote a chapter a couple of years ago with Hel- uh, Helga Kramer, who's one of the world's most prolific yoga researchers. He's in Germany. It's a, a chapter called you Know Yoga for Depression. It's in a book called uh, Yoga for Mental Health. It's a, a, a you know, Handspring published it. And in that chapter, he he provided the research, and he had done survey research of all the literature, and he found that the most profound aspect of what changes our mood is the breathing practices. Mm-hmm. And some people can't breathe, so making sounds enable them to breathe. Mm-hmm. So it's the pranayama and the, the toning, the mantra chanting. Um, while practicing the asanas that I think is the most efficacious for working with mood.
0: Oh, I just, I love this. And I want to pull in the thread of mantra a little bit more and using the voice and what I, I just, uh, this fall, I changed my schedule to include a class that is actually called movement mantra. meditation Mm -hmm. i don't see it anywhere else many Mm -hmm. many public studios that i've practiced at it's hard to find mantra inclusive in um in our traditional well not traditional in our modern day yoga classes at least where i'm living and Mm -hmm. so what i'm noticing is that it seems like there's um, a shyness or a hesitancy for students to use their voice and it often starts off very timid and quiet Um, I can't really hear anyone else. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure if they're even doing it. Um, And so I'm wondering what that's about. Is it like a cultural shift? Does it feel like, uh, I don't know, does it feel like cultural appropriation to some people to use these Sanskrit words? What are your thoughts on this? Well,
1: my thoughts are to use the tones that have been given to us from Mother India um, and to make it, there are two aspects of why I had 80 year old 83 year old Dorothy, who was a good church woman, good Christian woman, Um, her whole life revolved around volunteering at her church. Um, Not politically aligned with me, but I love Dorothy Uh, chanting these tones, I had, you know, 24 year old rose who came to me who's now the director of life force yoga um chanting for the first time you know all these folks of um who'd never chanted before and here's what the two thing the two aspects that i think are important one is my enthusiasm how much i loved it and how much i I could share that it has changed my life to add this vibratory tone the second is especially when working with people with a very strong left brain uh, right brain um who are very didactic and need you know the evidence is to talk about the evidence to talk about the studies you know Uh, so actually i'm gonna add a third thing so there are studies there's a um, a, a 2017 study, there's a 2011 study um, and there's at least one other study that I'm familiar with that shows that mantra chanting. And in fact, in my book, Yoga for Depression, there was an older study from the 90s that uh, Luciana Bernardi did in Italy. Um, these show the vibratory effect, how it stimulates vagal nerve activity how it puts us in that ventral vagal, vagal state that rest and digest social engagement state, um, activating parasympathetic, calming the sympathetic, the, you know, fight or flight. Uh, so there's a lot of evidence. So I can talk about the evidence, um, a little bit and just say, and the other way I approach it, when I'm talking to people either individually or as a group, you know, I've worked with a lot of people and they have found this particular practice of using the tone and I might not say chanting mm-hmm. using the tone of lum to be very grounding or zoom to be energizing for the second chakra that seed of self, uh, of of sensuality sexuality you know we all need that little um, revving up sometimes. And if you want to calm it down, use the cooling tone, for example, I would say, I'm just, uh, giving you an example, um, to soothe and calm that second chakra at the pelvic region. So, you know, I just integrate it like that. And I would say many people I've worked with have found this to be effective for whatever it was we were working with, for their mood, for depression, for anxiety, for soothing that revved up state, language it appropriately to the people I was working with. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there are a lot in the yoga for your mood card deck. There's a lot of these practices that either calm the, the sympathetic nervous system, meet that rajasic mood which is that revved up nervous state anxiety we might call it and bring it into a calmer state and there are practices that meet that sluggish lethargic state and bring it into a more revved up you know energized um state and so yeah
0: yeah Oh, Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm going to have to link to some of the articles that you mentioned in terms of the science, the the science backed evidence that um, Mm -hmm. mantra or vibration or tone, however we want to refer to it really does work. I believe it. I felt the power of it. I use it in my own practice and I definitely feel like you do that. I want to share it with others. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to dive into your, your deck a little bit. There's so many amazing practices in here. Uh, I find it so accessible. I love both the images on the front. I don't know if you can see that very well. <laughs> my my <laughs> screen's a little washed out. I'll, yeah. I'll link to pictures of this in the show notes as well. But so there's an image on the front, which is, you know, visually very stimulating. And then a description on the back and Amy, I have a couple of questions. Yeah, yours is way better. So if you're watching this online, you can see Amy's images. Would you, Would you? number one, tell me what maybe your one, two, or three favorite cards are and be willing to demonstrate one or two of those exercises? Sure, for us? I would love
1: to. Um, so before we do that, one of the things I want to say about the instructions is that anytime we do anything energizing, like, for example, this one, which is, I call the power hara or the power breath, we always um, ground it So the instructions include um, directing awareness, which is like a mini yoga nidra, mini body scan, which brings us back home to the body. So we're not up in, you know, too, too much stimulation. And then we ground it with a breath. You'll notice me leading whatever I lead that way. And there's one other thing I'd like to say about the way the cards are organized before we actually do it, like my favorite. And that is um, that you can pick of the 52 cards, you can pick something that just like sort of, okay, I need a little recharge. I've been sitting at the computer for three hours or two hours, whatever it is, I need to get up and do something. I need to move. So you pick a card from, let's say, the red uh, color-coded cards like um, this one. Let's say number five. Yeah, that's number five. Um, And you uh, use that card um, to meet the mood uh, that that you just want to energize. You don't need it. But let's say you're really depressed and although this card number five would be great to do it's energizing you're probably not going to feel like doing it mm-hmm. so you meet that mood with a blue card
0: mm-hmm. so
1: it, it a, a calming a calmer card and then as you deepen the breath say through stair step breath which is actually onmma prama on um valuma analemma and veloma chroma,
0: excuse me. Say um, that three times. Asterisk, <laughs> yeah, right. Tongue twister.
1: <laughs> Much easier to say stair step breath. Yes. Although there was a lot of sibil- sibilant S's in stair step yeah. breath. <laughs> but anyway, um, so we meet it and then we build the energy so that we're not, uh, you know, if you tell someone who's really overstimulated to just, just take a deep breath. Or even watch your breath it's mm-hmm. just not going to happen there's just too much going on so you need to meet it and then ground it mm-hmm. and and then move into something that's calming so i think i will let's see since i pulled up five
0: also one um, of my favorites breath of joy oh yeah i
1: love that breath of joy was from the kripalu tradition uh, it was brought to kripalu by Leela Osterman, a German yoga teacher trainer who was the first yoga teacher trainer in the early 70s. And uh, the way it was taught back then, because everybody was 18 to 24, coming off drugs and alcohol, you know, this was uh, you know the era of free love and mm-hmm. drug, sex, and alcohol, right? I mean, that's <laughs> just or what it whatever that is. Anyway, so everybody could do all these. Things. But now that yoga is being done therapeutically, so many people who don't have yoga journal bodies mm-hmm. are practicing yoga. They're doing it for therapeutic reasons. We need to adapt, modify. And Swami Shivananda said something, he said, adapt, adjust, accommodate. You know, that's the most important thing for doing yoga. So. I'm going to stand up and move back, I'll move my chair. And you're welcome to stand or not because you can do this in a chair too. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do the arm movements and the breath. Yeah, so we're I'm going to stay
0: close to my mic and sh- follow you sure. from the chair.
1: So, okay, so here's what, um, so the way Kripalu did it was an inhale, 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 up, and often really fast and then huh, throwing the body forward. Not so good for the lower back for folks you know, who have maybe a degenerative spine dis- disease, which I have, um, or other anomalies. Um, so we do it with chair pose. Um, so it'll look like this. Inhale forward, it's a three-part inhalation, inhale to the side, inhale up overhead as much as possible, make it accessible, exhale into chair pose. So, my knees are bent, I have shorts on. So anyway, my knees are bent, and my arms are back into a chair that kind that way. So and then we'll add the sound lum, which is really grounding. So um, we'll do it slowly, we'll do a few rounds. And then notice what happens after we do it. Okay, so inhale forward, inhale to the side, inhale up, exhale, Ha ha. So we'll do ha first. Inhale. Ha. ha Inhale forward. Inhale to the side. Inhale up. Ha ha. Now let's add the sound lum. Um, I'll do it sideways. Inhale forward. Inhale side. Inhale up. Lum. 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 Really emphasize that L. Lum. Lum. One more. Lum. Lum. Beautiful. And then Mm. if you're standing, close your eyes. If you're seated, close your eyes. Let your palms open. Sense the energy you have awakened in your face, Your palms, your left palm, feel the tingling, perhaps, in your left palm, the fingertips, the spaces between the fingers. Inhale through the fingertips of your left hand, all the way up your left arm to the crown of your head. Exhale down through the right side. Sense the face, arm, fingertips. Inhale up through the fingertips of your right hand to the crown of the head. Exhale down to the left side. Inhale from your feet to your crown. I am. Exhale to your feet here. Grounded. Ready. Inhale from your seat, if you're sitting, to your crown, I am. Exhale to your seat here, grounded, ready. And then allow your eyes to flutter open. And if you're standing, you can come back and take your seat. (sighs) Mm. So... What that does, I should first of all ask you how 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 your how it landed for you doing it in a chair, and how did it land for you, Tessa?
0: That's a good question. I've actually never done like or not lion's breath, breath of joy in a chair, <laughs> so um, I found it different. Um, I definitely prefer performing that breathing exercise standing up. Um, although i do have arms like yeah. armchair armrests that i was trying not to knock over and my mic system so um I, i'm sure i could have rearranged to make it a little bit more freeing yeah. um i do love that we incorporated the seed sound lum that was also something i haven't tried with that before and <clears throat> i just i feel i do feel more grounded right now i also feel it's like there's a, um, it's not just grounding. It's like an ability to tap into an internal confidence, I think, that I, I get from using my voice in a way that is powerful, unique to me, um, but also something that we do in community. So we create a safe space together too, right? Um, so yeah, those are the things that I'm noticing. How Beautiful. about you? Well, beautiful
1: observations. Um, Well, what I um, what I feel often and even when I'm leading it is more spacious, Mm -hmm. more room inside for me, for whatever it is that I want to embrace and bring into my life to breathe through my life, whether it's clarity or love or more focus or peace there's more room inside to breathe it through. And so um, often, and you spoke to sort of that sense of um, empowerment, that sense of grounded more than grounding, you said, but more of like an inner strength and, mm. and that kind of knowing. Um, and so many of our life force yoga practitioners use this in um, residential treatment facilities where like a d- domestic violence um, shelters where women have lost their voice, they I can't. So this is and or people in recovery programs or mandated um, jail release programs so that it, it gives them their power to, to because many of those um, folks have suffered tremendous abuse to bring them to the point where they are just being released from jail. So it and they've had their voices shut down. So to have a a powerful practice where they feel strong and we sometimes even include bhavana or imagery, like bring into your heart's mind an image for strength, which uh, let's see, I don't know if I have that. Yeah, I do. I think I have a card out that I'd like to do this because i can yeah. it's using mantra visualization it can be done in a chair um so this is card nine okay and this is rashida who lives in my building who is the model for this oh uh, like that yeah and so um what we're going to do is first uh i'll show you the gesture mm-hmm. and then um i'll instruct i'll uh so we're going to be inhaling the arms. Let me get this, So you can see out in front of the belly. And then as we exhale, we'll draw the hands to the belly with ma, ha, ra, okay. ma, ha, ra, which is, um, which is sort of calm strength. It evokes calm strength The sound for the solar plexus is ra or ram. Um, and it's Maha, Grand Royal. So Maha Ra. And we'll be inhaling for four and then drawing the hands to the belly with Maha Ra. And I, what I'd like, it, I, it, I invite you to do is to find an image that for you represents calm strength. It could be from nature or an animal or a face a deity mm. and uh if an image doesn't readily arise then simply maybe think the word words called strength or courage there's no way to do this wrong
0: mm.
1: and the uh, you know because not always we don't always Think of an image and if the image changes, we're going to do it three times. Mm-hmm. Mahara. And then we're going to add something. We're going to do Mahaya to the heart and we'll be using Eagle Mudra. So you can use the same image or it can change. So we'll do three times to the belly and just for time, we'll do one time to the heart. Okay. Mahaya. Great. So. Um, taking a moment to find and maybe allow the eyes to soften or close and find an image that for you represents calm strength. And if an image doesn't readily arise, perhaps a word like courage and know that the image can change and we'll be inhaling the arms out in front of the belly and exhale with maha ra ma-ha. Ma-ha-ra. inhale two three four see that image draw it in
0: ma ra
1: And one more time to the belly. Inhale, two, three, four. Embrace that image or word.
0: ma ra
1: And then inhale your arms out in front of your heart see that image, hug it like you're hugging a tree, draw it to your heart with ma- ma- ha- and give your heart a little rock. The image or the word on the altar of your heart, there whenever you need it. And then as you're ready, you can allow your eyes to flutter open. Calm strength. There when you need it. So, abey, Abaya, Abaya, <laughs> what's,
0: what's her name? Abeja, which is B in Spanish. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. She's a little bee. She well, is just love. She loves yoga. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I had when in my treatment room, um, I had I was working with uh, a a client who loves cats and I Mm -hmm. I don't have Smokey the cat anymore, but I did. And so we would do the chakra sounds as a a doorway, a portal into yoga nidra at the end Mm -hmm. and Smokey curled up and moved up her body with each chakra and when we got to hum for the throat she curled next to her next to her head and just stayed there for the whole yoga nidra meditation um that we did after after the sounds. so these sounds i mean i think our animals really vibrate they they understand the vibration of sounds perhaps better than we do for sure. I,
0: I would agree with that. Yeah. I was trying to, um, concentrate on a, vi- on an image of visualization. And sometimes things come to me like that. And sometimes like yeah. you were mentioning, nothing mm-hmm. shows up, but all I can see is this little black kitty, even <laughs> when I close my eyes
1: mm-hmm. and she's
0: not exactly the, the calmest <laughs> cat. <laughs> she's got a bit of frenetic energy. So I was thinking about this idea of, of her as a teacher for me as a mirror for, um, her showing up when I need that calm energy. Like she's reflecting for me what it is I need. (laughs) Animals have so much to teach us, right? They
1: do. (laughs) They do. And, uh, there's, you know, there's, I, I think it depends on the relationship with the animal. But I know in one of my uh, spiritual teachers would say that it's best when practicing, not so much asana, but meditation to keep them out of the room so that mm-hmm. you can really, you aren't distracted. You really can go deep to, and, and you know, at, on the other hand, um, you know, there's a kind of relationship, a bond there. And
0: mm-hmm. So you're
1: working with that yeah Um, it's you know when I leave this in a group I or individually I always ask you know what came up for you what what was the image and what's beautiful to hear is how many images come they're not just generic they come from people's own lives Mm -hmm. you know like the swing I used to swing in on in the backyard of my grandmother's house or the lake we used to go to when i was a little girl or that you know the waves you know that that kind of thing which is or a whole, or nursing my baby when she was mm. small and she's now 27 you know mm. you know those kinds of images of and so that's why um, i'm not a fan of giving people images of leading them on journeys because then it's my imagination my agenda so I'd like to give cues to nature and animals and to allow people to find their own images for calm strength or, or courage or um, peace or love or whatever it is that they're wanting to bring into their lives. So these like this card is for calm strength and goes to the belly we have uh, there are other cards in the deck that are for peace that that kind of thing most of the practices are seated some are standing but none really require a yoga mat uh, mm-hmm. they're they're accessible for everybody
0: Mm, I so appreciate this beautiful artwork and the time and the energy that you took to put it together and, and share the practices with us. Just a few of them, Amy, I do want to, I want to pull on one thread one for one moment. And then I want to give you time to, you know, share any last messages with the audience, but you tapped into something that I think is really important to expound upon, which is. Um the idea of allowing space for you to imagine your own vision. So when you're in meditation, whether it's yoga nidra or you're doing a practice like this, um, because I have such a, a visceral experience with um, being in a yoga Nidra uh, training, and one of our one of my co-students was, in a yoga ninja practice, obviously it's a guided meditation. So sometimes there's imagery that comes in, like see a bright moon, see a mountain, see a, a river stream. And this woman, she was getting really frustrated because she was like, I can't see it. There's something wrong with me. I can't see this thing. Why can't I see it? And so the this process of inviting in whatever shows up and also allowing for Maybe no imagery to show up. And mm-hmm. what I took away from that also was this the different ways that we visualize things. It doesn't always have to be this very strong outlined image of something that we have in, in our mind. It could be a felt sense, like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: okay, what does it feel like to be on top of a mountain? What does it sound like to stand next to a stream? So there's an invitation to see, feel, or sense.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, an
0: image, an experience. And it doesn't have to be one thing. It can be whatever comes up for you, or maybe that's nothing at all. Mm -hmm. So I just, thank you so much for allowing space for that. I I think it's important as we get a little bit, um, perfectionist with our yoga practice, you know, I want to do it right. So thank you for saying there's no wrong way to do it. So with all of that said, Mm -hmm. I want to be mindful of your time. Um, And, and I also want to allow you space to add something that you feel like you wanted to touch on, um, that you haven't got to touch on yet. I have so many questions like this could go on for two hours, but is there any message that you feel strongly about leaving listeners with that you want to share?
1: Well, first of all, something personal for me and then, um, and that is, uh, You know, I was just from my own story, I was a depressed fiction writer and none of my novels were published. I had short stories published that won some awards, but basically I had like six unpublished novels and through a devotion to my own well-being. and that included you know, writing yoga for depression and yoga skills for therapists and working with people individually and in groups and training. Um, and then finally stepping back from the, a lot of the training aspect, I'm not doing as much of that anymore. Um, I was able to come back to fiction mm-hmm. and I published my first novel during the pandemic, Temple Dancer, which is, Partly set in India, uh, during the Raj, so it's partly historical and partly 2016 during a pilgrimage. Um, you know, t- so it's fiction, uh, and it's about the Devadasi, the c- beautiful culture of women who devoted their lives, uh, kind of like geisha, mm. to uh, temple dance and to the deities in the temple. Anyway, I could say more about that, but that's not. So I just really feel that that these practices just make more space for us to to really live from a place of authenticity. And uh, so the other thing I would say is that even if you don't have a lot of time during the day to roll out a mat and do a practice, take five or 10 minutes to do something simple to clear your space, even if it's just a one breath per second bellows breath, or to clear the space, and then don't just snap out of it and do something. Take a moment to sense, as we did after we did the um, the breath of joy practice, uh, to sense like you're doing a mini yoga nidra. Sense into your face, your hands, your fingertips. Your you know to to really do a body scan and then ground it like with a grounding breath. That's so important, and then. Maybe, though, you might use it to invite in whatever it is you need to uh, manifest more fully in your life. So if you've done something like bellows breath to clear the space or any of the other, you know, more energizing cards, take that moment, that clear space that you feel and invite in whatever essence you need for that day and whatever resonates for you, um, maybe a more open heart, maybe a more open mind, maybe a clear mind invited in, because that's, that's where when the energy as we align with, with what is more than our moods, as we clear the space and, you know, clear away the story and the mood, we become more aligned with the universe with the divine, as we know the divine. And in that moment, it's the most precious time to this, fertilize the seed of your intention.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you, Amy. I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom, your practice, your creation. Where can people go to, to get this deck and find out more about you?
1: Um, well, amywinebrew.com is the best place. I have YouTube videos. I have a YouTube channel, Amy Weintraub. I think it's Amy Weintraub author. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think that. But if it'll, if you go to amywintraub.com it'll link you to YouTube videos and the deck and you know and the books and
0: CD. I have things. lots of
1: CDs and DVDs and trainings. I have upcoming trainings um, that are available for everyone uh, in uh, November and December well, I'll be uh, they're hybrids mm-hmm. one is one is a online training all together three days and one is a hybrid mm-hmm. that um, is on site in California and encinitas but anyone can tune in and other places in March I'll be in various places but it'll all be on my calendar
0: great and amy weintraub is a-m-y-w-e-i-n-t-r-a-u-b of course i will include that in the show notes you'll you'll be able to see how it's spelled but just for your reference as you're listening if you want to look it up all right amy i so appreciate you thank you for all the good work that you do and sharing it with us take care of yourself be well thank
1: you Tessa this has been delightful and I so appreciate you and your yogic wisdom and
0: your big heart Mm. thank you thank you I hope you enjoyed the conversation today if you have any feedback comments questions or even requests for future podcast topics Please feel free to reach out to me on the social media handles, Facebook at Tessa Marie Tovar, Instagram, yogi underscore Katniss, um, email address tessa.tovar, that's T-O-V as in Victor, A-R at iCloud.com. I love to hear from my students and I'm always happy to talk about this kind of thing for you. If you don't listen, I don't do this, and my goal is to spread the word about what yoga means on and off the mat, in particular, spreading the word outside of the studio. Thanks for tuning in, and have a lovely day. Bye.